Welcome everybody to our Bible overview. We are doing an overview of the Bible. <laughs> um, let me pray as we get ready to jump into week five. Father, thank you for your word. It's a light to our feet. It's a lamp to our path. Like literally, as well as metaphorically, we are grateful because the light of your word illuminates not only our path, but our understanding. Um, I pray that you do that today. In Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> our Bible overview, we do this partly in the hope that as we make better sense of the Bible, as we better understand the Bible, we make better sense of this world in which we live. Because fundamentally the Bible is God's word and God is the one who made the world. So if we wanna under, you wanna understand how a washing machine works, you need to read the manual, especially like how they're complicated and very um, full of electronics and computer chips and whatnot. You know what I'm saying? I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm, a, uh, I'm terrible because when I buy a new bit of equipment, I always tend to just open it straight out the box. You know what I'm saying? And just plug it in and start trying to figure out how, to, how, how it works without, first of all, reading the manual. I'd rather go on YouTube and see how, you know what I'm saying, the unboxing on YouTube rather than read the manual. And, and the thing is, if, like, when it comes to life, if we want to understand life and how it works, I think someone had the acronym for Bible. It's, it's somebody help me. Basic, thank you. Basic instructions before leaving earth. Emphasis on before. <clears throat> so, may God help us this morning slash afternoon. Today we're going to be looking at Genesis 9 through 11 and we're going to be talking about the nations. This is actually one message and I, I'm a culprit for being really long and extrapolated. So what I've done is I've cut a big message down into two, I hesitate to say small messages, quote unquote small messages. And so today we're going to talk about nations and hopefully if God spares my life, our lives, next week we'll look at Abraham. So <clears throat> if I ask you just to look around the room, we're talking about the nations, just look around the room at the different people sitting next to you and around you, different colors, different shades. Go on, this is not, this is not, this is not um, rhetorical. I literally want you to have a, have a look around. You know what I mean? Male and feet. Yeah, thank you, Brent. Male, lovely to have you with us, you know, and Timmy and the boys. What? Jeez. Look around. Different flavors, different heights, you know what I mean? Different ages. And it's funny because there are no two people that are the same in the whole world, which is incredible. If I had to draw, if you said to me, all right, draw like people. By the time I get to the 10th person I'm drawing, I run out of ideas. Yet when God creates so many different, it's incredible, it's amazing, it's wonderful. Now, different people from different places. Here's a question for you. And it sounds like a question for the whole of London, London, London. It's so loud. <laughs> I, live in a, I live in this private world of my own and um, up here running jokes with myself and... 
Um, how many continents, a bit of a trick question, how many continents are there in the world, right? Different people from different places. Just put your hand up, tell me, how many you think? Six, someone said seven, some, some of you are hesitating. You know, it's one of them questions that you're fearful to answer. Because you think, I think I know, but boy, I don't want to embarrass myself. Because who don't know the continents of the world? Seven, all right then, amen. All right, well listen, first of all, it, it used to be five. It used to be five. Um, Africa, America, Asia, and America, that's a clue why it's not five anymore. Asia, Australia, and Europe. Hence, the five rings on the Olympic flag. Um, but then it moved to six, because they split America. But now, it's actually seven. Because what you have is North America, South America, you've got Africa, Europe, Asia, Australia, not forgetting, Antarctica. Now, which of these continents has the largest population? Um, hopefully, we're all from one of these places, right? Africa, <laughs> Asia, <laughs> Asia, Asia, Africa. So Africa and Asia, it's, it's, um, it's actually Asia by a long stretch. Look at this. Asia, like, in, obviously including China, right? Four and a half billion. Africa, coming close second, you know what I'm saying? with a, a good solid 1.2 billion, you know what I'm saying? Then in Europe with seven, 738 million, North, Af North America, half a billion, South America, just under half a billion, Australia, Oce Oceania, only 39 million, <laughs> Antarctica. <laughs> and, and is it any great surprise? <laughs> You think there's people living in Antarctica? Okay. Amen. I don't know why, but... See, ben says... Ben, ben said Nigerians. Living in... Living in Listen, when I tell the Nigerians are everywhere. I went to Ireland to do a, part, a conference. I couldn't believe at this conference there were all these black people there in Ireland. And when I went to talk to them, guess where they were from? <laughs> Lagos. <laughs> Nothing long. <laughs> so Nigerians definitely get around. And, and th has anybody done um, the heritage? I know, I, know, I know Teresa's done it. Mr. Carnegie's done it. The my heritage thing where you trace your history, like where you come from, and they take your DNA, and and I'm saying, I'm convinced. I know without even checking mine yet, I'm gonna do it. But it's 80 pound, isn't it? So I'm gonna do it. I'm gonna do it soon at some point. And um, I'm sure I got Nigerian in my family. You know what I mean? I'm convinced. No one can't convince me, even if it don't come up. I'm I'm still convinced. So so look. So look, look, I can blame you. When the message is long, I can blame you, right? All right, amen. So approximately, you add them up, there's approximately 7 billion people in total. And let's just not forget, 
very light-hearted and praise God, you know what I mean? We need to run a joke now and again. You know, um, a merry heart does good like a medicine, the Bible says. And I'm saying, and I think science would agree with that. Endomorphins are released when we laugh and so on. But <clears throat> let's not forget that, you know, amongst the billions that are alive, there are thousands that are dying every hour. Did you know that since the service started an hour ago at 11 o'clock, 6,000 people have died? Worldwide. Death. And that's 55 million people a year, which is 150,000 people per day. 6,000 per hour. And how many of you know these are not just statistics? You know what I'm saying? We're talking about real people. Like recently, I don't know, I'm sure you've heard of one if not two of these, but recently, you guys ever heard of Al Jarreau? I think he's a musician. He died. Bill Paxton. That's the guy that was in um, Alien. Aliens. Yeah, back in the day. And oh, he was a chicken guy, innit? Oh, they're coming to get us. We got to get out of here. Right? That's, that's him. <laughs> and, um, and he was in Titanic. He's the guy in Titanic. He passed away. And then Graham Taylor, football manager, um, passed away. Like, we're talking about real people. And... We've had a number of bereavements just right here in our church, haven't we? And, um, and an ex-member of our church, you guys know Daniel, Daniel Payne? Um, he, goes to a, he goes to a Baptist church in Downham now, and um, we got to meet his pastor. Me and Pastor E got to meet his pastor. Um, his, his cousin passed away a few weeks ago, and we had the funeral on Wednesday. His name's Ernest, 24 years old. Murdered, stabbed 11 times. And he, 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 he like one of, the, one, of the, one of the blessed things about being at the funeral, lead, we, had, like we, led, we conducted the funeral, was that when, when, when Ernest, when he was stabbed, um, he, he ran to, he ran. He walked, he ran, walked 200 meters um, across a, like a grass area like this, just at, literally trying to get home. And he collapsed and he died um, just outside his, 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 his flats, his, well, his mum's flats. He didn't live there. And um, one of the, one of the, it's really hard doing a funeral. For someone that you, one, you don't really know that well, and then two, um, you're not really sure of their salvation because from the records, like, you know what I'm saying, they, they weren't in church. And it's hard, it's easy to do a funeral and say, oh, yeah, this person was a great person, and da da da. And, but to be honest, and especially with reference to the gospel and the people that are, are present, it was, it, it, it was, it, it, the, the difficulty of the funeral was alleviated because two weeks before he passed away, he said to his mum, he said, Mum, you know what? I need, to sort my, I need to get my life right. I need to go back to church. I need to get my life right with the Lord. He said that two weeks before he died. So it gave us a little bit of hope and it gave his, his mum and family a bit of hope with regards to the possibility that maybe he cried out to the Lord in that 200 meters between being stabbed 11 times and, and trying to get home, maybe 
Like the thief on the cross, he cried out and he said, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And how many of you know Jesus turned to that thief on the cross, didn't he? He says, this day you'll be with me in paradise. And um, our hope is that, is that he did cry out to the Lord and that's where he is. And on that basis, we then gave everyone in the funeral so much young people. Oh my gosh, Pastor E. Like at, the very, at, the, at the grave site, literally, if you, if you turned around 360 degrees, people, you know, it's normally at a funeral, you get a batch of, like a group of, surrounded. And it was beautiful because the men, his cousins, his, his brothers, his, fa- his uncles, all of his family, literally, um, they, they, they wouldn't even sh- like shovel quickly the, the, the dirt into the grave. They were picking it up by hand, breaking it off and placing it inside such was their love for him and their, their broken heartedness. You know what I mean? And they didn't care about their, you know what I'm saying, about, about their white shirt that they had on or their hands getting muddy or their, 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 their Balenciagas getting muddy. They didn't care, you know what I'm saying? And, and what I'm, I say all of that to, to try and remind us that, that death, it's... These, are, these, these statistics, they affect us personally, you and me. And um, <clears throat> so, so, so what do we do in light of this terrible news, you know what I'm saying, that is death? Well, we've, we've covered about 1,600 years of history just over the past three or four weeks. Um, beginning with the creation of the world, and we've, we've learned from the past few weeks about this virus that has contaminated the whole human race. The disease, the disease it has, as we saw, it has devastating effects. And it leads to certain death. Whenever a human is, is born, they become a carrier of the virus. Who then pass, pass it on to the next person. Last week we saw this global purge. Remember the flood that on the surface seemed, seemed to eradicate the problem. And we see um, what could be described as a fresh new start with a brand new family. In Genesis 9, as we pick up the story, um, verse 1 says, And God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Now what does that sound like? Does that, can you hear an echo? Remember, our aim is to try to help you to see that the whole Bible is one story. What's the echo? Adam and Eve in the garden when God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. It's like he has to start again or is starting again. And if like, people have a problem, oh, I don't know if I believe about this Adam and Eve business. Well, if you've got a problem with Adam and Eve, <laughs> here we go again with Noah and his family. You got a, you got, you, you're going to have a problem with Noah. Verse 2, it says, And the, f- the fear of you and the dread of you shall be upon every beast of the earth and upon every bird of the heavens, upon everything that creeps on the ground, and all the fish of the sea, into your hand they are delivered. Again, can you hear? It sounds just like Genesis. It says, Every moving thing that leaves shall, lives shall be food for you. Now, that's a bit different, isn't it? Why is that different? Because prior to that, it was just vegetation and vegetables and nuts and Vegan, <laughs> right? You know what I mean? But now things have changed. Now here's the introduction and the opportunity and the ability to eat meat. 
You know what I'm saying? So things, things are similar, but things are very different. And as I gave you the green plants back then, now I'm giving you obviously um, animals for food. He says, I give you everything. New family, <clears throat> starting with this new husband and wife, if you like, and their three sons and their wives. If you like, Noah and his wife are a little bit like Adam and Eve, this new beginning. And it's funny, isn't it? Because the way the Bible begins is the same way the Bible is going to end. You zoom fast forward all the way to the book of Revelation, you have something very similar, don't you? You know what I'm saying? You have a groom and you have a bride. Who's the broom? Who's the broom? Who's the Who's the groom? Jesus. And who's the bride? The church. And I'm saying, and we see the coming together of a bride and a groom, right? Just like at the beginning. And so this is a mini picture, if you like, of the bigger picture. Um, God graciously provided <clears throat> a vehicle of rescue for Noah and his family. And, and what was the sign or what was the symbol that represented God's promise? Listen to me carefully, to judge the world again. Now, now, what you would anticipate hearing is, what is the sign or the symbol that promised that God wouldn't judge the world again? But that's not completely true, is it? What is the sign or the symbol? And then I tease it out. Right, you're hesitating, right? It is what you think, but I just had to clarify our thinking. It's the rainbow. Amen. <laughs> It's the rainbow. It is the rainbow, my sister. It is the rainbow. And <clears throat> Genesis 9. Sounds like Avon calling. <laughs> Ding dong. Remember? Google, Google it. Don't worry. Google it. Verse 11, Genesis 9, as we continue, says, I will establish, says God, my covenant with you. We'll talk more about covenants next week. I will establish my covenant with you. That never again shall all flesh be cut off by the waters of the flood. And never again, here I am emphatic this is, shall there be a flood to destroy the earth. And God said, this is the sign of the covenant that I make between me and you and every living creature that is with you for all future generations. It's emphatic, right? I have set my bow, rainbow, in the cloud and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and the earth. When I bring clouds over the earth and the bow, and the bow is seen in the clouds. Um, it's wonderful, isn't it? Often, we don't think about this when we see rainbows. We're like, oh, it's beautiful, beautiful rainbow. We get our phone out, you know what I'm saying, and take a picture of the rainbow, and it's beautiful. I wonder if there's a, a pot of gold at the end. And This is the stuff that we'll say when we see a rainbow. But a rainbow is to, is to be a reminder of um, two things. One, that God isn't going to judge the world again. But two, that God is going to judge the world again. Right? So he's not going to judge the world again by flooding it by water. But he will judge the earth again, as we talked about last week. And next time he does it, it will be by fire. And the rainbow is supposed to be a reminder of that. A beautiful yet ominous reminder of coming judgment. And just like Noah, we are to warn people, aren't we, about the impending judgment to come. That's the bad news, but there is good news, and we'll come to that. So here they are, starting over again. Surely things are going to be much better this time around, right? Wrong. 
That's the scene immediately after coming off the ark. Coming back to that. Now, we said last week that even though God wiped nearly everything out in the flood, right? There was one thing that wasn't wiped out, which was what? The virus. This contamination, it continues, doesn't it? Which we know the Bible describes as sin. Even though God starts again, you know, it's just like in the creation. Genesis 1 and 2, and then everything seems wonderful. Genesis 3, uh-oh. You know what I'm saying? They come off the ark, everything looks new and green and fresh and, you know what I'm saying, purged. And, and, and like literally, immediately, as they come off the ark. Well, we're trying to make sense of the Bible. This helps us to understand the biblical definition of the word redemption. Redemption. You see, the problem keeps on coming up, doesn't it? And the question is, who's going to solve this problem? How many of you know we got like, man, like we got issues? You know what I'm saying? Like, who's going to solve this problem? And the beautiful thing is, God has a plan to eventually eradicate the virus, this sin, this contamination, once for all. And then in so doing, he's going to restore fallen man to a permanent state of reconciliation. See, this is the story of the Bible. But in the meantime, looking back at chapter 9, it's not long after jumping off the ark that sin begins to bear its ugly head. And there's, and there's Noah. We need redemption. Can you see poor Noah sitting there with an empty glass in his hand? Lick. Drunk. Lean. And it's like the expression on his face is like raw. Like. We need redeeming because we've fallen. Although we're God's creation. But we're moving towards recreation, which is the good news. Genesis 9 Verse 20 and 21 says, Noah, a man of the soil, proceeded to plant a vineyard. <laughs> when he drank some of its wine, he became drunk and lay uncovered in his tent. It goes from bad to worse. You know what I mean? He gets, he gets drunk and then now he's naked in his tent. And, and I think before I go on to make the next point, notice Noah evidently isn't the promised rescuer. Do you remember when he was born? It was like, oh, we're going to call him. What we're going to call him? What does his name mean? Rest. Maybe this is the one that's going to bring us that rest that we lost. Maybe this is going to be the answer. He's going to be the rescuer. Maybe he's going to be the serpent crusher. Maybe he's going to be the dragon slayer. Maybe. <laughs> Guess what? <laughs> Looking at Noah, he's not that guy. Right? And then, and, 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 and neither was Abel. Neither was Seth. Neither was, neither was Enoch, as great as he was, or Methuselah, even though he lived so long. And it's not Noah. Verse 22 says Ham, the father of Canaan, notice, saw, he saw his father naked and then he quickly covered him up. 
not to embarrass him. Now, you see how he's infected with this virus as well? Instead of covering up his dad, he runs outside and tells his, old, his brothers, oh, <laughs> yo, come, come look. Shem and Japheth, come, come and look at dad. Naked in the tent, drunk. Ha! <laughs> Judith, you know. <laughs> you can identify with how many it says. Yeah, 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 it's all right. <laughs> We pray for you, sis. <laughs> and, and my point is, more drama. Like three verses in, more drama. And Noah, as a result, turns and he, what does he do? He curses Ham. Like, more drama. More dr- Instead, it could be, he could have said, he could, okay, really, it was my fault, you know. If I never got drunk, if I never planted that vineyard knowing, you know what I'm saying, I got a taste for wine. You know what I'm saying? I'm the one who got inebriated. It's my fault. Instead of doing that, can you see him doing exactly what Adam and Eve done in the garden? Huh, all right then. And he wills and he curses his son, Ham, and his descendants. And then he turns and he blesses the other two sons, Shem and Japheth, because they, the they do get something and cover him up, right? So, no, so notice, remember, we're trying to get the storyline in the Bible. I wonder if anybody heard it as I was saying it. See, it's a recapitulation of what happened in the Garden of Eden. Curses and blessings. Curses and blessings. So, do you remember in the Garden, when they sinned, God cursed the man, God cursed the woman, and he cursed the serpent, remember? But then he also, Genesis 3.15, brought blessing. And the blessing was that of a promised savior, a promised rescuer. Do you remember? Blessing and cursing. Can you remember that? I'm trying to help us to see this. Like, this is hopefully helpful as we read through the storyline of the Bible. It all hangs together. The Bible is one book. Then after this, in chapter 10, all three sons, they go off with their wives and they begin to have children and their children begin to have children and their children begin to have children, right? And this is what the family tree looks like. If you're a bit far away, you probably won't be able to read it in detail, but hopefully what you can see is Noah at the top and his three sons, Japheth, Ham and Shem. Can you see that? This is what is known as the table of nations. Or this is where the nations, that I got you to look around at one another and think about the continents. And I'm saying, this is where it all started. This was the, if you like, the roots that grew out into the world as, as, as we know it, as defined by the Bible, right? And if you're semi-familiar with the Old Testament, you can probably begin to pick out certain individuals. Yeah, there are some, there are some, there are some, um, there are some godly characters, but there's a whole batch of ungodly, scary, notorious characters. So starting from the left-hand column, so you've got Noah, he's the dad. His first son, Japheth, if you like, you can see his family tree. And there's a couple people that you might identify there, but probably not many under Japheth. You move to the second category now. Oh my gosh. Ham. This is the son that got cursed. 
right? And you see the reality of the curse as you look through the names on that list. Cush, his first son. Now, Cush, you go right down, um, Dedan, maybe some of them are not so well known, but, oh, Nimrod, heard of Nimrod? But then look at the next son, Mizraim. Um, anybody in there you notice? The last one, Philistim. What does that sound like? Philistines. How many of you know the Philistines, um, one of which was Goliath, were the enemies of God? Eventually. Remember, this is a family tree, so you're going, you're going through hundreds of years, right? So you see where Ham's line is going. Do you remember we talked about a um, couple, couple weeks ago, we talked about the seed of the woman and the seed of the serpent. Right, can you begin to see the seed of the serpent? And then look at look under foot, never really had nobody. Foot, spot P H U T, right? Um, Canaan. Look at Canaan's line. Now, I don't know if you know, like I said, I remember before even reading the Bible, I used to hear my mom talk about the ites. And the ites, most of them, if, if they end in ites, then they're God's enemy. You've got, you got the Jebusites, the Amorites, the Girgashites, the Hivites, the Archites, Sinites, Arvadite. What's the next one? Zemarite and the Hamathite. That's not, a, that's not a good group. Let me just say that, right? So that's Ham. Now you move to the next son, whose name is Shem. And he's got one, two, three, four. He's got five sons, right? Now, there's, you trace one particular um, son's line, right? Our facts had. And don't go down the right-hand line, because I don't know if I know any of them. Maybe you do, but I, I can't pick out any of them. Maybe a few, maybe one or two. But look at the other set of kids. Pe so here, Peleg and Joktan. Peleg's kids. Can you notice anyone significant in there? All right, then. Right. Abram at this point. What we're looking at here and over the past few weeks is Old Testament. But we need to understand that it's not separate from the New Testament, right? That is the New Testament story. Now, look at this. This is Luke, this is in the New Testament. But look at now the reference, or the references, back to Genesis chapter 9. Luke chapter 3. <clears throat> Anybody um, know what, what we tend to call a section of scripture like this? And if you look in your Bible, most Bibles will have this indented, so it looks a little bit different in your Bible. As soon as you open it, you say, oh, that looks a bit different. You know what I'm saying? Thank you, Ben, because it's a genealogy. And this is one of them parts that we tend to read over. That is, if we read the Bible, right? We don't, we just skip over this as long. You know what I'm saying? All them names is long. But notice where it starts and notice where it ends. So Jesus, is Jesus in the Old Testament? Uh, I, I like the hesitation. You could say that he is because the New Testament kind of starts when Jesus dies, if you like. But in terms of the way the book is put together, Matthew is the first book of the New Testament, and obviously it starts off by telling the story of Jesus like Mark, Luke, and John, right? Now, 
This, if you like, is the New Testament. Oh, what happened to the L on Luke? I, I think, is it the projector? So, that's right, it's not a problem. So, ah, right. Revelation, Pastor E. Prophet. In the place, yes. So, verse 23, Jesus, when he began his ministry, was about 30 years of age, being the son, as was supposed, right? He's the stepson, right, of Joseph, who's the son of Healy, and you go right through, and when you get to verse 31, you find that, that Jesus is the stepson, right, of Joseph. Um, Joseph can trace his lineage all the way back to verse 31, who's the son of um, Melia, the son of Mena, the son of Matatha, Matatha, the son of Nathan, the son of who? David. You know which David that is? King David. David. And the thing is, Luke traces the lineage of Joseph. Matthew tra- traces the lineage of Mary. Both of them go back all the way, um, as we're going to see here, all the way back to David and even further than David. So you drop down to verse 34. David was the son of, oh, oh actually, 32, the son of Jesse that most of us are quite familiar with. Son of Obed, not so sure about Obed. Son of Boaz. Who's, who's, who, who did Boaz get married to? Ruth, verse 34, who's the son of um, blah, blah, son of blah, 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 grandson of Jacob. Oh, we know Jacob, or we're going to get to meet Jacob in a few weeks' time. Who's the son of Isaac, who's the son of Abraham, the son of Terah. The son, and it begins to go through the, 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 the family tree that we just looked at, going all the way back, verse 36, to um, son of Canaan, son of Arphaxad, son of Shem. The son of Noah. And if you keep going back even further, verse 38, the son of Enos, the son of Seth, who we talked about, the son of Adam, we're all familiar with, the son of God. Intriguing, whenever you hear the New Testament talk about Jesus being the son of God, if you understand the context of the genealogy, it actually sheds more light on Jesus in terms of who he is. Um, but we don't have time to talk about that today. Can you see that the Old Testament and the New Testament, they're not different, separate entities. They're two parts to the same story. And can you see the link there? So <clears throat> going back now, we've covered about 17 years, years of history up to the flood, 2,200 years up to Abram. Now we're going to jump 10 generations from Noah, which is where we were last week. Now, in a sense, beginning to look kind of at Abram. Now, before we do jump into Abram, <clears throat> just a few thoughts on the beginning of chapter 11 after chapter 10. Because um, anybody know what chapter 11 talks about? Chapter 10 is the, tower, the, the, the table of nations. Chapter 11 of Genesis, anybody? Tower of Babel. Who's that? That was Judith. Big up, sis. The Tower of Babel. And I don't know if you guys remember, I did a message a couple of weeks back. It was, it was akin to this. Christopher Ash says, there is no peace east of Eden. Christopher Ash, I lie, bruv. Dan, dan, da, da. Don. Yeah, very grateful for that man's life. There is no peace east of Eden. So now as we talk about the Tower of Babel, bear that in mind because it's going to come up. <clears throat> So, Genesis 11. Now, the whole world had one language. 
and a common speech. As people moved eastward, right, they found a plain in Shinar and settled there. Remember, there's no peace east of Eden. Verse 3, they said to each other, come, let's make bricks and bake them thoroughly. They use brick instead of stone and tar for mortar, like they're moving on in terms of um, industry. Then verse 4, then they said, come, let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens so that we may make a name for ourselves. Otherwise, we'll be scattered over the face of the whole earth. But, <laughs> but the Lord came down to see the city and the tower the people were building. The Lord said, if as one people speak in the same language, they have begun to do this, then nothing they plan to do will be impossible for them. Come, let us go down and confuse their language so they will not understand each other. So the Lord scattered them from there over all the earth and they stopped building the city. That is why it was called Babel because there the Lord confused the language of the whole world and it's funny, isn't it? That's where we get our word Babel from. From there the Lord scattered them over the face of the whole earth. Can you see that? Vaughan Roberts says in light of this, he says, human beings were now divided, not just from God, but now from one another. And some of the things that we learn <clears throat> or are reminded about God as we think about Genesis 11, the Trinity, the triunity of God. It says, God says, let us go down and confuse their language. Just like in Genesis 1, God said, let us make man in our image and our likeness, right? This is consistent with the doctrine of the Trinity that is God is three persons, you know what I'm saying, in one. And we will continue to see that constantly, further progressively revealed throughout scripture. Another thing we see here is that God is the one who determines where people live, verse 8 and 9. The Lord scattered them all over the earth, right? He's the one who determines that. And it's funny because that, that, that speaks quite significantly, not only to us, like in terms of where we come from as different people, right? From different continents and different countries. Um, but I think it also speaks to the, 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 the migration issues that we are confronted with today. You know what I mean? Mass migration on what they call biblical proportions. You know what I mean? And I can't remember if it was here, I confessed my own prejudice. I'm saying, was it, was it you guys I told about when I went to Ikea? I went to Ikea for a long time, was it LCM? I was in Ikea and I'm walking around, I'm thinking, wait a minute, what happened to my Ikea? Like, who are all these people? And where did they all come from? Like, all of these immigrants. Everywhere I look, I'm, I'm just telling you, on a level, this is, this is how I, f I was like, now you see the hypocrisy? Me, me looking at people calling like these immigrants. I keep, people keep talking in all these different languages. And I'm, I literally was standing in Ikea thinking, what happened to my, like my Ikea, you know? My Ikea. <laughs> and the hypocrisy, like my parents are immigrants. Like, 
You know what I mean? I'm, I, well, I was born here, I'm British. What? Sorry? <laughs> and, 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 and I tell you, this, Acts 17 spoke to me so powerfully in my prejudice. Because at one, like the whole Brexit thing, oh my gosh. This really spoke to me as I considered, you know, when you think about politics, sometimes it's a bit like football in that you get, you, some people become really passionate about, there's, there's certain things people become very passionate about to the point where that passion for that particular, whether it's football or politics, it begins to trump even our Christianity if we're not careful. You know what I mean? So, was that right? No pun intended. Trump. <laughs> Pass it. Boy. Pass the E. You're on form today, you know, bro. Jeez. Pass the E. Should have been preaching. But the reason I say that is because, you know, like I said, I have to be careful that my own personal perspectives and opinions on certain things don't begin to become foremost and primary. But, you know, we can do that often. And um, we're convinced that we're right and like I'm right and you're wrong. You know what I mean? And, 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 and it get dangerously kind of out of hand. And that's, uh, that's why I don't really like to use Facebook um, or them, like social media too tough. Because you know, one, you can think one thing today so like, oh my gosh, doggedly, like dogmatically. And in three weeks time, you disagree with yourself, let alone anyone else. Am I lying? So... And this really helped me. Acts 17, listen to this, man. Acts 17, verse 26 and 27 says, From one man, he, speaking of God, made all the nations. That's Adam. See, the Bible's one book, right? This is Acts. This is New Testament. From the one man, he made all the nations that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he marked out their, ooh, he marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands. God did this. God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he's not far from any one of us. So I tell you, I, I saw this and I was so humbled. I was like, whoa, I, 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 better not, I better stop talking about, well, you know what? As far as I'm concerned, yeah, we need to firm up the borders because people coming in. Now, fundamentally, my, 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 real, my real concern was like the whole terrorist thing, you know what I'm saying? And people not taking the terrorist issue really very seriously, you know what I'm saying? Saying, oh, you know what? No. You know what I'm saying? The religion that, like, like that someone said, most Muslims are not terrorists, but most terrorists are Muslims. You know what I'm saying? And, but but in the political environment, you can't, people don't say that. They're like, say it's a peaceful religion, and so on and so forth. So, you know what I'm so I'm saying, my concern was, you know what, no, it's, we need to think about this a bit more carefully because it's deeper than that, but not to get into that, right? But when I read this, I was like, oh, I wonder if it could possibly be, based on Acts 17, that the Lord is the one that's actually allowing people to cross these borders and rather than get deeply political about it, just say, okay, maybe, you know what I'm saying, like who's running to Syria to be a, a missionary? Like everybody wants to work for LCM, me included, because in, it's London City Mission. But who wants to go to 
You know what I'm saying? What's a, who wants, what's a city in Syria? Who wants to go to Aleppo? It's one thing going out to Lewisham High Street. Who wants to go to Aleppo? You know what I mean? You know what I mean? And, and, and isn't it amazing? Maybe, if you, can't, if you can't take the mountain to Muhammad, you bring the mountain to Muhammad to the... You know how the, the, the saying goes. Maybe that's not a good... That's, that's, that wasn't a good reference. But, you know what I'm saying? It's like... Maybe, possibly the Lord's break. Lord, the Lord is the one that's bringing people to Europe because people are hearing the gospel in ways that they, they would never have heard it before and are better equipped if they do choose to go back. You know what I'm saying? Then, then I would be because it would take me 50 years to learn well, Farsi. Is that what they speak? That's, that's Iran. It would take Arabic. You know what I mean? And so I'm just saying. I'm confessing that this really challenged me. And I was like, whoa, I need to look at things beyond just the natural, the normal, right? <clears throat> so who is ultimately in control? God is. You know what I'm saying? And some of the things that we learn, um, that's some of the things we learn about God. Some of the things we learn about or are reminded about man is that this tower, going back to Babel, right? It reaches to the heavens. Notice, it reaches to the heavens, do you remember Adam and Eve were reaching up for the fruit? Could this be another one of those kind of innuendos, one of those little clues that again is communicating the fact that man is wanting to be like God. Eve reaches for the fruit because it's going to make you're going to be like God. Reach for the fruit. Oh, let's build this tower reaching up to the heavens. Why? Because we want to be like God. Remember Genesis 5, humans and the Nephilim, the, 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 the copulation, because man wants, oh, we'll have these giants, we'll be like demigods. I'm saying man wants here in Babel notoriety, let's make a name for ourselves. Remember Isaiah 14, the devil, I, I, I will ascend above the sides of the north, I will be like the most high. I'm saying, although man is industrious, building, architecture, engineering, creating materials, bricks and mortar, and not just. <clears throat> And notice skyscraper, the, the, like the, 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 the first skyscrapers. And I'm saying they're building a city, a metropolis. Um, but the funny thing is, God comes and frustrates that because God Himself is going to build a city, isn't He? Reference to the church is that we are a city set on a hill. And you see that in incredible description in the book of Revelation when you see the church coming down from out of heaven, a city, the city of God. So God's like, all right, you look trying to build a city. Mm -mm -mm. I'm going to build a city and I'm going to do it my way in my time. For the time being, I'm just going to scatter you. And he does that, doesn't he? Now, as we come to a conclusion... What does this remind you of in the New Testament? That is, these people coming together in the, at the Tower of Babel, speaking all different languages, speaking one language, I just gave it away, <laughs> speaking one language. Someone say it for me. Acts 2, thank you, Pentecost, amen. Acts 2, and it's crazy because we see the antithesis. Watch this. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. Sound similar? And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. 
And divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. This is the disciples, the apostles, right? And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, who is God, and began to speak in other tongues, other languages, as the Spirit gave them utterance. So they're speaking in different languages. Verse 5, now, there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound, the multitude came together and they were bewildered because each one of them was hearing them speak in his own language. Hmm. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, are not all of these who are speaking Galileans? Like Galileans, if you know anything about your geography, is up north. And those in Judah, in Jerusalem, are in south. You know the north-south divide, where southerners think northerners are bumpkins and northerners don't like southerners. So you remember hearing it said when they saw um, the disciples, they were like, Sorry, when they saw Jesus, they were like, Jesus, Je- what, him, that, like, that, him from up north. What, can anything good come from out of Galilee? Remember, out of Galilee, Nazareth. <laughs> out of Nazareth, which is in Galilee. Right, so they're astonished. Like these, like they never went to school. They're from, they're from, Gal- they're from, they're from um, what's that place in Manchester, Pastor E, that we went and, and Moss, they're from Moss Side. <laughs> can anything good come out of Moss Side? I noticed I never said nothing about London. There's a particular place in London I could have mentioned, but and I used to live around a corner from there. I used to live around a corner from I. It was my stomping ground, so I'm not, I would be hating on myself, but I'm not even mentioning it. And it says they were amazed. Aren't all these speaking Galileans and that? And how is it that we hear each one of us, each of us in his own native language, Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia? Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, and Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, North Africa, parts of Libya, North Africa, belonging to Cyrene, and visitors as far west as Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians. We hear them telling in our own languages, tongues, the mighty works of God, and all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? Genesis 11, that's what it means. But others mock, saying they are filled with new wine. Like Noah. Now, what does it mean? The people are from different places, yet they're all in one place. Genesis 11, they were all in one place, and then they were scattered to different places. You see how it's the opposite. God comes down, right? It's it's specific in Genesis 11. God says, let us go down. Some people read that and think, oh, what's that all about? God coming down. Wasn't God there in the first place? You know what I'm saying? It's a, what is it? Help me. It's an anthropomorphism. You know, where the Bible says God's got hands. God doesn't have hands. Or God's, you know what I'm saying? Um, What's another one? God sees in in the sense that he's got eyes. You know what I'm saying? It's, It's trying to help us to understand things about God and how he works based on our limited understanding. You know what I'm saying? So God comes down. You know what I'm saying? It doesn't necessarily mean he wasn't there. It's like God in the, it's like Adam and Eve sin in the garden and God comes in the garden and says to them, like looking for them and they're like hiding. As, and again, it's not that God doesn't know where they are and he doesn't know what they're doing. <clears throat> so it says God came down and I would argue the reason for that being so descriptive is because exactly the same thing happens in Acts 2 where the Holy Spirit, if you like, comes down, doesn't he? And I, I mentioned it when I read it. The Holy Spirit is God. So can you see the similarity? God coming down in both Genesis 11 and in Acts chapter 2. 
But he's coming down. He comes down in Acts 2 to bless. But in Genesis 11, he comes down to curse. They were all speaking different languages. But in Acts 2, God unified their understanding and their confusion where he did the opposite in Genesis 11. And one of the things we're hoping is that man's sin issue now seems to be resolved in Acts 2. Whereas it's just highlighted in Genesis 11. In Acts 2, the nations had gathered, right? But in Genesis 11, they come together as one and they're split up and separated into nations. Can you see that? <clears throat> well, one of the major things that we understand as I conclude, and I invite the praise team to get ready to come and join me. <clears throat> the Bible is one story. We've looked at a few things that help us to make sense of the crazy world that we live in. And as we look at the Bible, which is a big book, right? As we, as we consider how the Bible speaks to our reality, I know there are, I know there are some that, that give themselves to reading the scriptures on a regular basis, some people on a daily basis, sometimes multiple times a day, some maybe not so often. But hopefully, considering how we see the Bible describe how we as different nations originally came about, and the temptation for us to want to usurp God's authority, to want to be our own authority. God cursed man in Genesis 3. But as we see, God is progressively in the process of redeeming even cursed humanity. And be reminded, Adam fell and messed things up. As great quote-unquote, as the flood was in terms of its immensity, it didn't solve the problem, and it never was meant to. It's meant to be a reminder of judgment. And then we see the human race start again, and as soon as they start, they fail. And it's supposed to, it's supposed to remind us that all humanity, regardless of which epoch of time we live in, were the same with sinners. We're affected by that, same, by that same virus. Who can point the finger at Noah getting drunk? Like, who ain't been drunk? I'm saying, who can point the finger at Adam for lying? Well, we're going to see next week for Abraham. Who can, who can point the finger at, at Adam and Eve for blame shifting? We can't point the finger at any of these individuals. If, if anything, this story points the finger at us and reminds us that we need a rescuer. And it ain't Noah. And it ain't none of the characters that we've, we've talked about today. It's the whole Bible is pointing to one person, one individual that can rescue us. And it's hard, isn't it? Because it's like watching a box set. Try not to give away the answers, even, you know what I'm saying, at this particular... We're only four, in, in, we're only four, 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 four episodes, chapters, 
We're only four into the series, and it feels like you don't want to give it away, but maybe you may not be back next week. Maybe this is the only week you're going to be with us. So I have to let you know that we are progressively making our way to the one who is the rescuer, and it's Jesus. And I'm saying he's the son of God. He's the son of Abraham. He's the one who's the son of David, Jesus. That's where the story's going. Let me pray before we sing. Father, thank you. Thank you for Genesis 9 and 11 and how it helps us to identify with the, the different nations and how they arrived at where they are and even where they are today um, and even who we are we all come from Adam and it's bigger than the color of skin it's bigger than our languages it's bigger than how big our continent is or how small our country or island might be the big issue the big point is that we've got this virus and we can see that because people still die and that's the result of the virus and father jesus is the only one with the antidote Um, father i pray that we've gone some way in painting a clearer picture of the big story today in jesus name amen Join us next time for more of God's truth to transform your reality.